This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Next thing we'll be seeing is Kinyu Tess. Fashem and Stoko. Boise Asher Fleisum Yosvi Adato. You Hashem are Stoko, you're righteous. Alone of Boise upon him. We are embarrassed. And here, we go through 12 different instances, 12 different episodes, and each time we admit of what Hashem did to us, He did for us for good, and how we turned it around, and we used it for bad, and we are embarrassed. We go through how much Hashem did for us. We talk about how Hashem brought us by the Yamsuf, Hashem saves us by the Yamsuf, and what was our response? Very nice, He took us out of this side, but the Mitzrayim came out to Allah said, they're going to chase us. A lot of bites upon Him. You gave us honey fried, you gave us wafers fried in honey, which is the mon. A lot of bites upon Him, and we are embarrassed. What do we do with the mon? And we went and we used it to serve the eagle. The very month that you gave us, we went to do, you, to do the Avedazar with. <coughs> and the Kinnah goes on to tell us the different instances that we did. That whatever Hashem gave us, Hashem gave us the, the, the Mishkan and Shiloh, Naiv and Givain. And what did we do? We did Avedazar. And we brought in Rosh Hashanah And it was our loss, and we are embarrassed about it. The Mun, Yomar tells us, is a quintessential example of being a Kafi Taif, of using something Hashem gave us for our benefit and using it right back against Hashem. You know, the Nachash said, I don't understand you people. I can eat many things, and they all taste like one thing. I can eat anything, they all taste like dust. You got to eat one thing and it was able to taste like anything. And that you're complaining about. The very thing Hashem gave us, upon him. How important and careful we have to be to realize that all these things Hashem does for us, it's always for our benefit. And not to Hashem throw it back at him. And to realize Hashem does all this for us because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be close with us. You ever wonder how strong of a relationship could somebody have with somebody else? The answer is a relationship is only as strong as the weaker side wants it. If one side wants it a lot, the other side doesn't want it a lot, it can only be as strong as the weaker side wants it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants a relationship with us very, very strongly. A very deep and meaningful relationship, which means we are the ones who get to decide how deep that relationship is. And all these times, this list of 12 things are things that Shem did to us. He gave to us so he can be close to us. And we went, we threw it in his face. Rav Noach Weinberg Zetzal, the Yeshiva of Eshetera. We opened the Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. It wasn't a common thing to have Bali Tshuva like Baruch Hashem we have today. And he had to go around to different colleges and universities to speak to people, to get them to try to come to Yeshiva. And he would say, come to Yeshiva, experience it, Get to know Hashem. Get to meet your Creator. And he was very successful. Tremendous Yat Shemaya. 
Nachman was a was a Tamakhachum Atzum, a Masmer Atzum, and he gave this up for Hashem's children. One time he was in California, in Berkeley, speaking to a bunch of students, a bunch of Jewish students, 400 students, and he was telling them the importance of going to yeshiva and have a relationship with Hashem. The speech was over, Rav Noach being a very charismatic fellow, about 40 people gathered around him afterwards to speak to him. And one guy says, Rabbi, that was the best speech. He says, yeah, he goes, yeah, it was the best. Everybody got to go to yeshiva. So Noach looks at him. The guy has uh, multiple body piercings and assorted things written all over the place. And he says, so? So you're going to go to yeshiva? He says, Rabbi, not me. He says, you just said it's so important to go to yeshiva. Why don't you go? He takes his fingers. He goes like this. He goes, Rabbi, me and God, we're tight. He says, oh, what does that mean you and God are tight? He says, God does miracles for me. So if Noach realized right away, either this guy's crazy, or he's got an unbelievable story. He says, tell me, what miracles does God, does God do for you? He says, all right, I'll tell you. He says, you know, after high school, before college, everyone goes on a gap year, they go touring all over the place. Well, me and a bunch of buddies, we didn't have enough money to go overseas. But we all had our bikes, our Harley Davidsons. And me and 12 guys, we decided to go cross-country. And we drive all across the country. We were in California. We came to Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney, out of, uh, out of Alaska, it's the, the tallest mountain. It's about 14,500 feet high. And there's one road that goes around and around. You go up and up and up. Halfway up, the road stops. And there's a rest area with a little store. And the rest, you have to walk up. So we went up. And we were able to go with our bikes a little further up. And then we walked the rest. And we broke camp. We had camp there. We had a barbecue. We had some beer. We got drunk. And life was great. Early the next morning, my eyes opened up. It must have been 5 in the morning. And the sun is just starting to rise. It looked beautiful. He said, you know what? I can't lose this opportunity. I went down a little, got on my bike and started to take a bike ride by myself, zipping around the mountain, going around and around. Halfway down the mountain, all of a sudden, there's this big truck making his once-a-month delivery at 5 in the morning to that rest area halfway up, because you can't have two cars on that road, definitely not a truck. So that's when he makes his deliveries. And I'm zipping down to my bike, and there's this truck chugging up. I had three options. I could have gone straight be a fly in his windshield. Try to go to the left in between the truck and the mountain. Not going to work. I kept my place at the edge of the mountain trying to go by the truck. I held on for a few feet but didn't work and I slipped off the mountain. Bike went flying down a few thousand feet and exploded in a ball of flames. Oh me. <laughs> there was a tree sticking out of the cliff. My jacket got stuck on that cliff. The truck driver stops, he comes running, he sees me, pulls me up, barely a scratch. Rabbi, who do you think put that tree there, if not God? God put that tree there to save me. He does miracles for me, I'm ready tight, I don't need to go to Yeshiva. So no Weimar hears this unbelievable story. He has a few seconds to answer something and not lose all the 40 people there. So yeah, everyone, all of a sudden was going to have their own miracle, no one needs to go to Yeshiva. If Noah looks at him and he says, you know, you're 100% right. God put that tree there to save you. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think sent that truck there in the first place to throw you off? That's also God. 
then why would God take you one hand and throw you up in the air just to catch you with the other hand? He's trying to get your attention. You, of all people, should be going to yeshiva. You, he wants a relationship with. And this is what goes on in our life. Sometimes we wonder, why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? Hashem hates me, why is He doing it to me? This kin is telling us otherwise. This kin is telling us that the more Hashem is metapal with us, the more Hashem is busy with us, it's because the more Hashem wants to have that relationship with us. But make sure we focus on the L'cha Hashem at Staka, and we don't have to focus anymore on the upon Him. L'cha Hashem at Yirmiyah approaches Marasam Apeda Kever Avavais Mimois Vinama Tzomis Chavivais Matem Shaykhvais. He comes and says, Why are you lying over here? You see what's happening to your children? Why are you just lying down? Benetum Golu, your children are being sent to Golis. Uvetem Charevais. And the base of Middash is being destroyed. Vayestus Avais. And where is the source of Avais in this land? The Kinnah tells us how frustrated Yermiel was. There's a Kinnah of frustration for 40 years. For 40 years, Yermiel is going around warning Klaiso what's going to happen. Telling Klaiso that the base Middash will be destroyed, the Yerushalayim will be destroyed, they will be kicked out. And no one listened to him. No one did not listen to him. They hated him. They made fun of him. They bothered him. And he kept on telling them they have to do tshuva. Eventually, Hashem said, we're going to try a different tactic. Telling them what's going to happen is not working. And he told him, yo, 
to go and write down Megillus Echo. Indeed, Perak Aleph, Bays, and Gimel of Megillus Echo, that we lane last night, was written before the Hurban actually happened. It was written as if it happened. To shock Klaisol into realizing that it's going to happen if they don't change their ways. And it was written 18 years before the Hurban, and unfortunately, wasn't able to stop the Hurban. And then he wrote this down and he gave it to his Talmud, Bar Ben to go to King Yayakum to let him see it. And Yayakum's in his palace, in his winter palace, and he starts to tell the Nebuah. He says, You have to go and you have to do tshuva. He says, Oh, yeah, and if I don't? So he starts to read him from, from, the, from Echa. Echa Yashav Adad. Yushalayim is going to sit by itself. He says, Ah, so what? He says, Bahu Tifka Belayla. You're going to be crying at night. Who cares? As long as I'm king, let them cry at night. Golsa Yehuda Me'ayni. He says, Yehuda is going to be sent into Golis. Okay. As long as I remain king, it's fine. And then he said, Darketzin Avelis. The roads of Tzin are going to be full of mourning. He says, fine. As long as I'm still king, it's fine. And then he tells in the Pasuk, Your enemies will be your rulers. And that, he got so angry, he got up, he ripped up this Nebuah, and he threw it into the he threw it into the fire. The Chidah tells us in the Sefer, Nachal Eshkol, interesting that Yirmiyahu and Nebuchadnezzar as children were friendly. Yirmiyahu and Nebuchadnezzar were friends. And one time they were walking together, playing together, and Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to destroy Yerushalayim. So Yirmiyahu says, wow, why are you going to do that? He says, I'm going to destroy Yerushalayim and the base of Nidosh. He says, yeah? He goes, yeah, and all the people inside. Simeon says, Ah, oh, why are you saying that? No, I'm going to do it. Simeon says, Okay, I'm going to go along with you. If you're going to do it, could you do me a favor and give me something? He says, No. Well, let me ask you for something. You're my friend, aren't you? No. So you're not my friend? He goes, Okay, you can ask for one thing. I'll tell you what. The day that I'm there destroying it, whatever you can touch and save is yours. That's it. Okay, they made a deal. Many years later, Yimiel gets a message, Ruch HaKadosh from Hashem, that he wants him to go and to travel to a city called Anasais. Go to their Anasais and tell them to do tshuva. So he went to the city of Anasais and he told him to do tshuva. He's coming back to Yishlai and he sees smoke and fire. He says, Ah, Baruch Hashem, they brought the carbon Tamid. It was only when he got closer that he realized there wasn't a carbon Tamid. He came and he started to destroy the Beis Amigdash. And Hashem engineered it that he shouldn't be there, so he shouldn't be able to save anything on that day. He tells us, Medrash tells us that he comes and he sees that bloody footprints. So he starts to follow the bloody footprints, and these are the footprints of the Jewish prisoners. And finally, they were allowed to rest at the Nahar Paras. And Yemiyo comes and he sees them, and they see Yemiyo, and they start crying with him, and they're all crying together. And then finally, Rio says, okay, I have to go, I have to go back to your shrine. He says, what? You can't leave us. He says, no, there's still people in your shrine. I have to go back to your shrine. He says, how can you abandon us? How can you leave us? And Rio says to them, 
Al Nara's Bavel, by the rivers of Bavel, Shom Yoshavnu Gambachinu. There we sat and we cried. There we cried. However, earlier we didn't cry. Says Yumiyo Navi, I swear to you, if you would have cried just one tear while still in Yerushalayim, the Khurban would not have happened. But you laughed and you laughed for 40 years, and you didn't even cry once, and now it's too late. And that's the frustration that Yumiyo was experiencing over here. The Kina goes and explains how he goes to Avramavi and says, Avramavinu, stop this. And Avram comes to Hashem and says, the fact that I was ready to go and check my own son, doesn't that help? And Hashem says, yeah, but they're doing a Vaidazara. And then Yitzhak comes, and he says, the fact that I was ready to be, doesn't that help? What happened to the, to the promise of, you'll save for Yitzhak? And he says, yeah. But Marva Maria, but Yirmiya, but Timu Har Maria. They defiled Har Maria, they brought away the Zara. And then Yaakov comes. Sad Yulah Besalas, Demois, Kistin Zalis. Yaakov had the most difficult time with bringing up his children who went through so many difficult things. And this is my reward? The children did away the Zara. And then Leah comes, and Moshe comes, and Rabbeinu comes. And then Leah comes, and finally. We see Rachel Achaysam and Vakal Benel. Rachel comes and she cries for her children. And we know the Novi says, Rachel Mevakal Benel. And Hashem tells her, Kayama Hashem, Mini Kalech, Mi Bechi, don't cry, Venayach Medima, Ki Sacher Lepul Asech. The Shavu Mitzrayimai, they will still come back. Rachel comes to Hashem and says, Hashem, what's going on? Why are you sending my children out? And he says, They did it by the Zara. And Rachel says, are you referring to that gold and silver stuff? And those stones? Is that what you're jealous of? I wasn't jealous of my sister. I gave up my husband for my sister. I was going to marry Yaakov and now I let her marry him. And I didn't say anything because I don't want to embarrass her. And you can't let this go? And that's when Hashem says, You can stop crying. They're going to have to go out now, but they're going to return. It's a well-known story. It was Chaim Shulavitz. He used to go to Cave Rachel. And he, uh, the Bachar who drive me would always tell the Bachar to wait outside. And he went to Cave Rachel. And this time the Bachar said, My Rebbe's telling me not to listen. This is probably the most important thing for me to listen to. And as he was there crying and going through all the Tsaras, going on in Kaisal, and when he finished, he said, Mama Rachel, because Rachel tells you not to cry, but me, Chaimel. Vaint, mama, vaint. We have so many tsars. Don't stop crying. Don't stop crying until Mashiach is here. And he cried and then he left. On the way back, the Bachar turns to Rosh Hashiva to Rav Chaim and says, you know, I have to admit, I followed you inside. Okay. He said, I heard what you said. He goes, oh, okay. He says, I don't understand. If a Kodesh Baruch told Rachel not to cry, what gives you the right to tell Rachel to cry? And Rav Chaim Shalaz looked at him he says, you know, parents, they always know best. They always know what's going on. So if something's going on with a child, the parent can say, my kind, my child, don't worry. It's okay, don't cry. That's what a parent says. But a child can always look at their parent and say, cry for me, help me. Vaint, mama, vaint. Hashem can tell Rachel not to cry, but me as a child, I can tell Rachel to cry. And that's what I did. Nuchas Elazar, in 1936, wasn't so well. He had a small private meeting that he davened with. 
And when it came Elul, and in his private meeting, his grandson used to daven with him also. The little boy, six years old. And after daven and Elul, he blew shayfer, and he would blow shayfer. And his grandson loved it when his grandfather, the Mechus Elazar, blew shayfer. And he would love it, and he would blow shayfer. Well, it came Erev Rosh Hashanah, daven's over, and he didn't blow shayfer. He didn't blow shayfer Erev Rosh Hashanah. So the grandson sitting there, he's waiting and waiting and waiting, nothing's happening. He goes up to his grandfather and says, Zaidi, why aren't you blowing shayfer? He says, explain to Erev Rosh Hashanah, you don't blow shayfer. No, I want you to blow shayfer. He says, explain to him, Minig, halacha. And the kids throws himself on the floor and he throws a tantrum. Blow shayfer, blow shayfer, blow shayfer. Well, he couldn't hold himself back and he blew shayfer. The next day, he gets up in the big shul and he speaks before Tekiyas and he says, I have to admit something. He says, Rabbi Nishalem, maybe I didn't do something so proper yesterday. And he says, over what happened. He says, at the end I blew shayfer. I know that's not the minute, but I blew shayfer. He says, but Rabbi Nishalem, what should I do? My little Anakul was on the ground screaming and yelling for me to blow shayfer. How could I not listen to him? And then he burst out in tears. He says, Rabbi Sai, you think if we would cry out to Hashem, sit on the floor, cry, cry to Hashem, Hashem, blow shayfer, to come shayfer gadol, blow the shayfer ready to bring us home. You think Hashem could hold himself back from it? I can hold myself back from my grandchild. I guarantee you, Kodesh Baruch couldn't hold himself back from all of us crying that he should blow shayfer ready. All we need to do is to put that cry.
we'll be saying is Kinnulam and Olive. When we started, we'll be, uh, you know, we will stand and sing it together. When we started, H2 Kabakirvi, Palaisi Alivi, Vitsaisi, and Mitzrayim. A fire burned within me when I remember when we left Mitzrayim. And how I cried when I remember when we left Yerushalayim. This kin is a study in contrast of how good we had it. When we left Mitzrayim, we were on top of the world. Everything was great and it was getting better and better. And then the other side of how difficult it was when we left Yerushalayim. And the kin goes on until finally at the end, when it says, we will finally return to Yerushalayim. This kingdom, this awful study of contrast is interesting that we know that the night of Tisha B'Av is always the same night of the week of Pesach, giving us both the Betzeshim Yerushalayim of Pesach and the Betzeshim Yerushalayim of Tisha B'Av. When we left Spain, 1492, when they started the Inquisition, really it started earlier in 1482, when the Inquisition started. But there was pressure on her not to go, on, on, on Isabella not to kick the Jews out. And finally, finally, on March 31st, 1492, they expelled all the Jews. There was a family, the Sencino family, a very wealthy family with a printing company. They managed to pay them off and to stall it and to push it off and to push it off till ultimately August 2nd, 1492 was the day they had to leave. And even though there were those who converted, it was a very difficult situation. There were approximately between 250 and 300,000 Jews who left. They had to leave. By that time, or they'd get killed. They couldn't sell their houses and their property because they knew it was very, very cheap. People paid them just pennies on a dollar for it. And they were leaving. It was a very hot day. And that day, August 2nd, 1492, was Tisha B'Av. And that was the day they were leaving. The Barbanel was with them. And the guy were making fun of them. And they said, why? What do you have to leave for? Stay here. All you have to do is convert. Stay here. Making fun of them, bothering them. And the even kept them going... And then the Barbanel turned to some people who had instruments and said, start playing music. The people are too sad. Start playing music. We don't want Chasper Shalom anyone to have a change of heart. They said, Rebbe, it's, it's Tisha B'Av. And he told them a clown. says, you didn't only cry when we're kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. When we're kicked out of other countries, that's Gaulus. That's how it works. We don't cry then. We cry when we're kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. And that is how they left Spain. The kid goes on to tell us some frightening things that happened. It says, brings down in Sefer Lechem Dima, who is a contemporary of the Rizal in 1540, that when the Jews were in Mitzrayim, and they were making the, they were making the, the bricks, so they had straw, they had water, and the Mitzrayim would add in thorns to be more painful for no reason other than to torture them and be cruel. And therefore the bricks got a red red color, a red hue from all the blood when they were mixing it. 
And because the husband had so much to do, the wife would help him. At one time, there was a lady helping her husband. And as they're making the bricks, she was pregnant. And she gave birth while she was working. And there was no time to even stop, and the baby got built into the brick. A Malach came, took that brick with the baby inside, and brought it up to Hashem. It says, Hashem, this is your child. This is your children. This is your children. Hashem took it, and He put it by His throne. And any time Hashem got angry at us, He would look at that brick with the baby inside, and He would be Matthias, He would be placated. And He wouldn't punish us. Except when it came now to the Hurban, Hashem says, I'm not interested in this anymore, and He took the stone and threw it down. And that is what enabled the Beis to be destroyed. And that's what we read in Eicha, Hashuk Mishemayim Eres, Tiferes Yisrael, Leizachar Hadam, Raglav Biyay On that day of anger, He did not want to remember His footstool, that brick that was once by Him. And that's what we talk about, what was then and what was now. Yet, we have to be careful. Sometimes we just wait for something, because we want it to happen already, we don't realize that there's a job to do in the middle. Waiting for the ghoul is not like waiting for the bus. And you know, you're waiting, waiting for the bus, you step on the street to look, you think it'll come faster. That's not what waiting for the ghoul is. There's a task that we are meant to accomplish while we are waiting. We have to switch the Tzaysim Yimitzrayim B'tseisim Yerushalayim to B'tseisim Yerushalayim to B'shuvi Yerushalayim. How are we going to switch B'tseisim Yerushalayim to B'shuvi Yerushalayim? There's a process that we have to do. And there are things that we can accomplish. For example, the Kajr Zemagit says that if you want to go visit the king, you can't get in to see the king. There's only one time you can get to see the king. And that is if the king is walking around, if the king's on a parade. Then somehow you can manage to get close to the king. Otherwise, you can't get into the king, unless you're a, a governor or something. He says, the whole year, Kodesh Baruch Hu, we don't have the big smithers, so Kodesh Baruch Hu is up there. He says, on Tisha B'Av, a Kodesh Baruch Hu is sitting with us, as we said earlier, sitting with us on the ground crying. A Kodesh Baruch Hu is right here with us. An opportunity to dive into Hashem, to open up ourselves to Hashem, and to speak to Hashem, and to tell what's on our heart. For this Kodesh Baruch Hu is here. And He's accessible and He's easier. The Chavetz Chaim tells us that we know that there's no base in Migdash. Instead of the Karbanas, we have our tefillas. We daven about a tefillah, and it's as if we brought it. Why would you want to waste that opportunity? On Yom Kippur, we daven the Avaitas of Yom Kippur. Now I don't know about you, I'm not a Kayin, so I will never be a Kayin Gadol. I'll never be a Kayin. And yet, on Yom Kippur, I can do the Avaita, and in the books in Shemaim, it's as if I did the Avaita on Yom Kippur. Why do you want to squander that? Of course, we want Mashiach to come. But while he's not here, there are things that we should be doing, and things that we could be doing. And that is that we have to use this Kayach to get close to Hashem, and, and to dive into Hashem. You know, by davening, we say an interesting thing. As we're getting closer to Shema, we say, we start to speak about the Malachim. When we say the Malachim, they open up their mouths, Bikdush of Tahara, Bishira Vazimra, Mavarkun, Mushabkun, Farin. The Malachim Davin beautifully, and they don't fight. Everything's beautiful and holy. Why do I care how the Malachim are Davening? Let that be the Malachim sitter. I'm pretty sure the Malachim sitter doesn't say, I want Davening. 
Why do I care that every day before Shema, before Shema Esrei, I speak about how the Malachim are davening? The Chula Paiskim is PM, who cares? The Gemara tells us in Chulin that we are very precious to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In fact, we are more Chavit to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than the Malachim are. Because a Malach can't daven to Hashem whenever he wants. But a Yid can daven whenever he wants. What does that mean? So the Gemara tells us in Chulin, Chavivin Yisrael Afnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yaisim Rachel Yisharis. Because there are some Malachim, Ein Ayran Shira El Pam Achas, there's some Malachim, they get to say Shira once a day. There are other groups. Some Malachim, Pamachas Bechayrish. They get to Dava to Hashem once a month. Then you have Pamachas Bashana. Some Malachim once a year. Some Malachim, Pam Bishwa. Once every Shemitah cycle they get to Dava. Pam Bishwa. There's some Malachim get to Dava to Hashem once a Yavu. Then the Gemara ends off. Pamachas there are some Malachim who only get to daven to Hashem once in their existence. Says Rashi, which Malachim are those? Those are the Malachim that say Kadesh, 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 Hashem Tzavakis. One group says Kadesh, and they're gone. Another group says Kadesh, they're gone. A third group says Kadesh, Hashem Tzavakis, and they're gone. And that's it. What we are saying in the Siddur is, can you imagine, how would you daven if you knew that this Shemunesrei is your last Shemunesrei you're going to ever daven. Imagine we daven Shemunesrei once every 10 years. How would you daven that Shemunesrei? You wouldn't just, you know, riff through it and move on. You would really daven a lot of Kavana. Think back a few years, we had Birchus Achama. Every 28 years, you say the bracha for the sun. Is that more of a special bracha than a make a shahakla and a cup of water? No. And we prepared for it. Everyone knew exactly where they're going to go and where they're going to stand. If we realize, we, we, we talk about these malachim, we say to ourselves, wow, these malachim get to David to Hashem once in their existence. We have to realize that our Shemun is also once in existence. Chazal put in, every single Shemun has its own kayach from now until the end. June 22, 1941. The Nazis initiated... Operation Barbarossa. The only way the Nazis can win the war is by having a truce with Russia. So they made a truce with Russia. We won't fight each other. We'll divide up the middle, Poland, and we're good to go. And that lasted until June 22, 1941, where the Nazis invaded with over 3 million troops. And they were so successful, moving and moving and moving, that the Eisenstaffengruppe, the killing machines, couldn't keep up. They were six weeks behind trailing the Wehrmacht, trailing the army. Unfortunately, everywhere they went, we know what they did, especially to us. On August 25th, 1941, they entered a city called Dnepropetrovsk. In the city of Dnepropetrovsk, there were many Jews living there. But they heard what was happening after the Wehrmacht came in, and they knew they had just a matter of time until the Eisenstupen group comes in, and 60,000 Jews ran away into the forest. But 30,000 Jews remained. And then on October 13th, the order came out that everybody has to go to the botanical gardens. And all the Jews had to go to botanical gardens. And they started to go there. On the way there, there's a group of boys, 15, 16, 17 boys, Right before the botanical gardens, about two blocks before, there was a shul. 
So they asked one of the Ukrainian policemen over there, can we go inside for a few minutes? And they started laughing. Why do you want to go inside? You want to speak to your creator? Ah, you'll see him in person in a few minutes. You don't have to go there. He said, please, let us go inside. Fine, you got 20 minutes. These boys went inside and they dove in Minfa. Minfa was over, they went to the botanical gardens, and the Nazis started to shoot. And they opened fire. And it took two days to kill everybody. But of course, during that time, there were many people who just fell down. They weren't actually killed. And later they were able to run away. One of the people who ran away was one of these boys who daven that mincha. And he would often say over what he would give to daven such a mincha again. Because how would you daven mincha knowing that this is your last mincha you're going to daven? But the truth is, every single tefillah, we are supposed to be doing that. Says the Chavetz Chaim, in between the Tzaysim Yerushalayim and Bishuvi Yerushalayim, that is what we should be working on. We should be working on getting close to Hashem, and we do that with tefillah. You can stand now and sing Eshtukad.
This is a, a, a very difficult kina to speak about because of what we did. The kina says that the Navi was giving us Techach, the Navi was telling us what's going to happen? Now do we not listen? Now do we make fun of him? But we murdered him. And that one moment, we got seven of heirs. We murdered, we murdered a Kayan, we murdered a Navi, we murdered a Shaifet, in the Chatz of the base of Migdash, Anyam Kippur, and on Shabbos. And that's what we say in this kino. The kino goes on to explain from the Gemara and Gittin of what happened. Then the Buzaradan showed up. And when he comes, he sees there's blood on the floor of the base of Migdash. And he says, what, what's this blood over here? He says, what do you mean? What do you think this place is? This is a butcher shop. We're shucking animals here the whole time. That's what it is. So the Vuzaradin went and he took some other animals, he shafted them and he compared the blood, he said, this blood doesn't match. You better tell me what this blood is, or I'm going to comb you, your skin off. It's a favorite pastime of theirs. So they had no choice, they said, this is the blood of Zechariah Novi. This is Zechariah Novi, that's a long time ago. The blood was boiling for 250 years on the floor. They tried to get rid of it, they couldn't get rid of it. So, Zechariah said, I'll get rid of it. And he went, and he took a bunch of people from the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin Gedalia, Sanhedrin Gitana, and he shafted them. He slaughtered them, and he had their blood mixed with the blood, and the blood kept on boiling. So then he went, 
And he took children, 80,000 children, and he shafted them there, and he mixed their blood with it, and it kept on boiling. Then he took teenagers, and it kept on the blood, just kept on boiling. Finally, Nebuzaradan says, Zechariah, Zechariah, Taivim Shebehani Baratem, I exterminated the finest of them. Nichalon, Darbichalukulay, do you want me to kill everybody? As soon as he said that, Nach, the blood stopped. As soon as Zechariah saw that, he realized that he hear tshuva medaita. He started to think of doing tshuva. If this is what they did, and this can continue on for 250 years, I better watch out. Someone, they killed one person, and look at this blood, look how many people I killed. And therefore he ran away, he sent a, a start to his family to take care of his stuff, the guy, and he became a ger. And he became a ger, that's all we know of him, the last that we know of him. It was like a, like a river of blood. And the kinna goes to explaining the whole thing that we just said. What you learn from here is that nothing goes unnoticed. Zechariah was killed, his blood was avenged. But not just Zechariah. If Uzzaradan realized that also, he realized that he did something and he's going to be held, he's going to be held accountable. And therefore this kinna teaches us in our long gallus that nothing that we do is goes unanswered. We have to be responsible for our actions. But we also shouldn't think that what we do doesn't count. I'm just one little spoke in a wheel. What's the difference if I do this, I don't do that? What's the difference if I stand up for someone else's honor or if I don't? If I say this word, I don't say the word. What difference does it make? We see in this kina that everybody makes a difference. Everybody's responsible and everyone has to do something. There was a lady in the Lodge Ghetto. And when she was thrown in the Lodge Ghetto, the people in the Lodge Ghetto thought they'd be safe because there was a lot of, a lot of factories needed in the Lodge Ghetto. And actually, it was only liquidated later. But this lady was pregnant. And she started to have some complications. And there was no one in the ghetto that could help her. She snuck out of the ghetto and she ran to the doctor's house. She took a chance. She comes inside. There was a lady doctor there. And she treated her. And when she finished, she thank you, and she turned to go. And the doctor says, where are you going? I'm going back to the ghetto. She goes, it's not safe there. She says, I, I know it's not safe there, but I have nowhere else to go. She says, stay here. Stay with me. She goes, you sure? She goes, yeah. He goes, I can't stay with you. My husband is in the ghetto. So the doctor looks at her and says, go get your husband and come back here and you'll stay here. She says, I have three children in the ghetto. I am not leaving my children. But thank you. So the doctor looks and says, go take your three kids and your husband and bring them here. And then she says, her parents are there and her in-laws at the end. She says, bring them all here. She brought in nine people into her house and she watched them and she guarded them. She kept them there for over two years until towards the end of the war some neighbors got suspicious and they had to leave and they ran to the forest where they survived the rest of the war. After the war, they moved to America, and then they ended up in Eretz Years later, they had grandchildren from these children, and one of the grandchildren was getting married. And one of the parents, who was a child who was hidden there, decided, you know what, let's go find this lady and invite her to the wedding. And she went back to Europe, she searched, and she found this lady. And she offered to bring her to the wedding. It wasn't easy, she was old. They made arrangements and she came to the wedding. 
And by the wedding, she was obviously the guest of honor because they're only here because of her. And towards the end of the wedding, they made a circle. All the grandchildren made a circle around this lady. There were over a hundred descendants. And they were dancing around her. And she, of course, was very happy. One of the granddaughters went over to her afterwards and says, Tell me, I did a project on the Holocaust in my school. Most of the guys were not as nice as you. What drove you to save my family? Weren't you scared? She says, Yeah, I was scared. So then what drove you to save my family? So I'll tell you, she says, I'm a Bible-believing person. I read the Bible. And I read how Hashem told Avram that he's going to destroy Sodom. And Avram Davin, that after 10 tzaddikim, 20, 50, it's a 50 tzaddikim that we will save. And it went all the way down to 10, and there weren't, and Sodom was destroyed. I always wonder what would have happened if there would have been 10 righteous people there. And when I saw what was going on in my country, how society is falling apart and what my people are doing, I said to myself, maybe I can be one of the ten righteous people and stop what's going on. And therefore I decided to do a righteous deed, hoping that maybe, maybe there are nine other righteous people like me. And if there are nine other righteous people like me, then we can stop this madness. Unfortunately, it seems like there weren't. And the madness didn't stop. But this whole family was saved. We, too, in our own lives, always have to make sure to think of ourselves. What can we do to be part of the ten so we can make a difference and not have to go and say what it says in the skin of actually killing the Navi?
next kid will be singing is Kinalamid Vov. Out of the next nine kinnis, eight of them start with the word Tzien. These kinnis are known as uh, the Tzienim. We sit here speaking about what happened to us, but really our goal, as the Rav said earlier, the goal, our goal is to get back. Our goal is to get back to Eretz Yisrael, with the Beis Hamikdash, with the Shino. Kinalam Edvav, Tzien Halei Sishali, Lislaim Lasirayich, won't you ask about your welfare, about how you are, about those of you who are imprisoned? They seek your welfare, how you are. And this is how it always was years ago. We see someone from Eretz Yisrael. We want to know the news about Eretz Yisrael. We all know what's going on about Eretz Yisrael. We all care about Eretz Yisrael. We all think about Eretz Yisrael. Some Sefer says, why is it that we're the only nation that lost something? Other nations lost also. We don't find the Romans crying over the Colosseum. You know, the Colosseum is the most visited tourist site in the world. They don't cry the fact that it's destroyed. Or in Mexico, the Aztecs don't cry over the pyramids. Why are we crying about the base of Migdash? Some Sefer explains, when Yaakov Avinu heard that Yosef died, he cried for him. And he cried and he cried and he cried for 22 years. But how could that be? We know Hashem gave the bracha of forgetting. Someone's dead, you forget eventually. And the answer we all know is that Yosef wasn't dead. Yaakov thought he was dead, but he really wasn't dead, and therefore he continued to think about him. Only when something is really dead do you forget about it. The Colosseum is really dead. The pyramids and Aztecs is really dead. They forgot about it. The base of English is not dead. We don't have it, but it's not dead. And that's why we continue to cry for the base of English. And for that we have to get back to Israel. We should inquire about it. This kin is written by Reviewed Ben Shmuel Halevi, who also wrote the Kuzari. And he writes over there whether it actually happened or just in a, a marshal of how the king decided once and for all to find out what the true religion is and he got together representatives of the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims and they had a debate and the Kuzari won, he won the debate Rehud Levi, Levi, he won the debate obviously when he finished the king says I don't understand something if you think that you're right as you prove it and Eretz Yisrael is the right place. Why are you here? Why aren't you in Israel? Why aren't you in Eretz Yisrael? And the Kuzari said later, he writes, he says, I had an answer for every question the king asked, except for that one. Why am I not in Eretz Yisrael? And indeed, he started his journey to go to Eretz Yisrael. That's a question of what happened if he actually got there. Either way, it says, the legend is when he got there, he bent down to kiss the ground, and an Arab horseman trampled him and killed him. We say, we say in Benching, Eretz Kemda Taiver Chava. Eretz Yisrael is a land that's Kemda Taiver Chava. It's desirous, it's good, and expansive. Now we know Eretz Yisrael is good, we know it's desirous. But how can you say Eretz Yisrael is Rechava? It's not big. Whatever you want to say, Eretz Yisrael is not big. In fact, Eretz Yisrael, you look at a map, you can mistake it sometimes for just a line in between two other countries. It's, it's tiny. 
And of course, the explanation is, if a person says he owns an acre of land, I'm a very wealthy person. It depends where you own the acre of land. You own an acre of land in Midtown Manhattan, you're a wealthy person. You own an acre of land in Montana, not so wealthy. It's the same acre of land, but it all depends where it is. Yisrael, every every inch of Eretz is so precious, and therefore it's Rechava, so much of that precious land. Sefer Shabbat Elekah brings down Kufnun Hay. We say this every year, the meaning is by benching you're supposed to take the knife off the table. It brings down a story of a person named Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael, who was benching, and he was actually concentrating, he was benching, and he started to say, Uvnei Yerushalayim, Yerkaidesh. He started to think that the base village would be rebuilt, and the Karbonis, and the Kahanim, and he was so excited. And then he opened up his eyes and he realized he was just in his dreams. He was just benching, and he got so distraught, there was a knife on the table, he picked up the knife, and he stabbed himself, and he killed himself. Chas no one should ever do that. We're in danger of benching, of doing that. The meaning is not to have the knife on the table. Except for Shabbos, you can have it not during the week. Somebody asked the Fidika Skareva, are we supposed to be worried about that today? Unfortunately, by benching, we hardly realize that we're benching sometimes. Are we supposed to go and take the knife off? So the Rebbe thought about it for a moment, then he said, you know, it's Kedai to take the knife off. He says, why? Because someone's going to see you take the knife off the table, and they say, what are you doing? And you're going to say, there used to be a minig, because we used to be concerned that people used to think about the base of Migdosh. So at least that, at least that will have. You say in the Kinnah, Who can make wings for me so I can fly to Eretz Yisrael? For hundreds and hundreds of years, that was just a metaphor. Today, Baruch Hashem, we know exactly what it means. We can just fly to Eretz Yisrael. The problem is you can just fly right back. It's amazing. Someone was thinking, someone just mentioned to me, now in recent history, past years, is the first time in his lifetime that he is not permitted to go to Eretz Yisrael. Maybe Hashem said, you're not going to come, so don't come. We take advantage. We fly there. We have to make sure we don't just get on the plane and fly right back. We have to be careful not to emulate the Miraglim. We got here in the first because the Miraglim spoke bad about Eretz Yisrael. That's Allah. We're not allowed to speak bad about Eretz Yisrael. So in the past, there's a fellow in Eretz Yisrael who has an appliance store. And he has a big sign. The sign says, Mazgina de Rav Asi Rav Ami. The air conditioner of Rav Asi and Rav Ami. Now we all know that they did not have air conditioners in those days. So what's this new chumrah that you're supposed to have with your air conditioner? How are you supposed to, so you're not allowed to plug it in or something? What's this new chumrah with air conditioners? And the Gemara tells us that when Rav Asi and Rav Ami would give shear, they would give shear by a tree, and they would be careful to move all the Talmudim over as the sun would move. They would move everyone over so they would sit in the shade. Because if they're sitting in the sun and it's hot, they say, ah, oh, it's so hot here in Israel. They're speaking negatively about Eretz Yisrael, and a Jew may not speak negatively about Eretz Yisrael. And one also tells us there was other Amorayim that used to go and take all the rocks off the roads. So no one should trip and then say, oh, the roads aren't clean in Eretz Yisrael. And this applies to us as well, all the time. We have to be very careful of what we speak about in Eretz Yisrael, especially now we hear all the news. We can't just speak and say what we want about Eretz Yisrael. The Kinnah continues, Chai Nishamais Avi Artech. A breath of life for my Nishama would be if I can breathe the air in Eretz Yisrael. 
In this week's parasha, Moshe begs Hashem to go to Eretz Yisrael. Hashem says, no. He says, let me go in as an animal to walk around. No. Let me go in as a bird. Why do you want to go in as a bird? So I can breathe the air of Eretz Yisrael. Moshe was desperate to breathe the air of Eretz Yisrael. And he wasn't allowed in. Every time I go to Eretz Yisrael and walk in the airport, the first thing that comes to my mind is, wow, I get to do what Moshe Rabbeinu was never allowed to do. You should never take it for granted. We have to get back to Eretz Yisrael with the Beis HaMikdash, with the Shekinah. We always hear the story of this Meshulach was in Baltimore for Shabbos and he was by someone's house Friday night. And after Kiddush, before Kiddush, the family came up and the Meshulach thought he was giving them a bracha the family, but he didn't. He just poured his cup of grape juice and wine. They all went back to the seat. And then afterwards, they came up, and the father gave them a bracha. So the Meshulah said, what are you doing? Why are they coming up and back and back? He said, I'll tell you. He said, I would love to go to Eretz Yisrael, but unfortunately, I have no pronouncer there. I can't go to Eretz Yisrael. So I'm here. But every week, I buy wine from Eretz Yisrael. When you fill the bottle with wine, the top part is air. So if you're filling it up in Italy, the top part is going to be air from Italy. If you're lucky enough to get wine from the Bronx, then you're going to have wine from the Bronx in your wine. If you have wine from Eretz Yisrael, so you have air from Eretz Yisrael. So every week, when we open up the bottle of wine, all my children come around, and when they open it up, we all breathe in the air of Eretz Yisrael. And it's Meshulach felt so low, because he says, I live in Eretz Yisrael. I do that for a living, I breathe. And I never once thought, wow, how they're supposed to breathe there in Eretz Yisrael. But that's what it tells in the Kinnah, Chayin Hashamais Avi The Kapishat Sarebbe would try to go to Eretz Yisrael very often, and it wasn't easy to travel. And every time he would come back, he would say, how wonderful it is in Eretz Yisrael. And once one of the Hasidim went over to him and says, Rebbe, I don't understand. Aren't they making problems for the from? Isn't it difficult for them? And the Rebbe says, I don't know what you're talking about. Every time I go to Eretz Yisrael, I see more Kailim, more tzedakah, more chesed, more people keeping Shabbos. I don't know what you see when you go. I know what I see when I go. On Kofal of Adar, 1956, you can see Yehuda Halberstam, the Kleis of Igarevah, Zetzal, laid the cornerstone for Kiyat Sanz in Netanya. And when he spoke, he said the following. He said, I lost 11 children to the Nazis, Yemach Shemom, murdered by the Nazis. I promised that I'm going to build another Maisit for every one of those children. And he did. Mithilashas and, and yeshivas and, and, and stock organizations. Unbelievable what he did. He said, but this, what I'm doing now, building Kiryat Sans, I feel is the most important institution that I'm starting. And I feel that a Kajbo who kept me alive, not for all, all those other institutions, but for this one, for Kiryat Sans. So people should be encouraged to move to Eretz Yisrael. At that time, there was an, a reporter there, a journalist, Nissen Gordon, a firm fellow. He says, Rabbi, that's very nice in Eretz What do we tell the men, in the, the, the Yidin in America? He says, tell them in America that they also they have to come here, the Rebbe said. He says, but it's not safe. He says, tell the people in America, Eretz is and will always be the safest place for Yidin. That's what the Kleisberg Rebbe said. So when we say in this, in this, in this kina, we have to realize that today we're back and forth, back and forth, and we see so many people from Eretz Yisrael, and we don't really feel, have that feeling for it. But when we say the skin at Sina, be careful not to go and do the same Avera that the Miraglim did.
Be saying your skin of hey, let's see you in Varel, which will stand up and sing afterwards. The Kino, the Sula Chagura Sak, Abal Nirel, cried Siyan and her cities like a lady who's suffering when she's giving birth. On Yon Kippur, by the Kippur Avaida, the Kangadol would lane from the Sefer Terra a little, and then he would say, more than I read from you here is written here. And the same thing with the kinnis, with the slus, saying kinnis in the morning, using our time the best way possible. Still a few minutes before Chatzais. Still hope for the coming of Mashiach today. Still before Chatzais. What are we comparing a lady, the pain that we are in, to the pain of a lady who is giving birth? The Panavish in 1947 started the yeshiva already, and he had just a few bachram. Those bachram were, were survivors. They lost siblings, their mothers, their fathers. And it was on Tishabav, and there was no need to go inspire them and to get them to feel what they were missing because they knew they were very much aware of what they were missing. But he told them that when a lady cries by childbirth and she has terrible pain, but she knows that that pain is preparation for a new life. She knows that when that pain is over, she will have a child. And that is why we are crying now. We are not crying over the past. We are crying knowing that we have a future. We are crying knowing that we will have the Beis HaMikdash. 
And that is why we cried for something, even though it was many years ago. But if we're going to be honest about it, we have to say it a little differently. Because every year we finish and we say that the base Minish was destroyed because of sin of Shinam. And we have to figure out how to change that and solve that. We've tried many different ways, many different topics. But I think we're really going to solve it. We really don't have to be here next year all together saying, it's Tishavav, Tavshin, Ayin, Tavshin, Pe'alaf, what are we doing here? We have to do something different. And I think the words that we use make a big difference. And ever to be honest, we can't really say we are crying for the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. That's really, really not accurate. We know Chazal tells us, the Gemara tells us, any generation that did not have the Beis Hamikdash built, it's as if it was destroyed in that generation. We like to think what that means is I may not be good enough to have the Beis Hamikdash rebuilt. But I'm definitely not bad enough to have it destroyed. And the Gemara is telling us that's not accurate. If the base of Midrash is not rebuilt in our generation, that means that if it would have been standing in our generation, it would be destroyed in our generation. Which means that by the end of today, the base of Midrash is not rebuilt today, we should start thinking in our mind and smelling fire that the base of Midrash was burned today. And we're off for our Shabbos Nachamu plans with the Beis Midrash burning in the background. So we have to be a little more accurate. And instead of saying that we are mourning and crying for the destruction of the Beis Midrash, perhaps we should be saying that we are crying for the non-construction of the Beis Midrash. Because that's really the truth. We're not crying for the destruction of the Beis Midrash. I'm not responsible for what happened 2,000 years ago. I don't know anybody alive from 2,000 years ago. I don't know anybody who knows anybody who was alive 2,000 years ago. But I'm responsible for myself today. And if the basement is not rebuilt in our generation, then what we're crying for is not the destruction, but it's the non-construction of the basement of So how do we make sure when we go to sleep tonight, we don't have to cry for the non-construction of the basement of Many like to think, well, it's not me. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to get to Stockton. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to look at or not allowed to look at. I'm not going to go or not allowed to go. I'm going to learn all day. I'm going to do everything perfect. And what about the rest of the millions of Jews? I'm going to bring my shift, me, myself, when everyone else is doing the same thing. There's not one Jew around. So there is. So then why do I... I can't do anything. What's one person going to do? What's one person going to do? Where do we know that a minion works? Where do we know that a Kodesh comes to a minion to ten people? We know the Shekhinah resides by ten yidin. Where do we know that from? We know it from the Miraglam. From the Miraglam. The Miraglam are called an Ada, and from there we know that a minion works. Hashem comes to the minion. If that's the case, we know Mida Taiva Meruba, Mida Peronies. A Mida Taiva is 500 times stronger and better and bigger than a Midas Peronius. A good thing is 500 times better than a bad one. If 10 people could go and bring Kedusha, and that's where we learn it from, but those same 10 people cause so much destruction. Can you imagine those 10 people change the trajectory of the world? Of the world. 
we're supposed to go to Eretz Yisrael, that's it. These ten people messed it up. These Miragla messed it up, and that's what we're suffering today. All our suffering comes from there. Well, if ten people can cause so much harm, could you imagine how much good ten people can cause? Those ten people cause so much harm, ten people can cause so much good. You know, you know, during the coronavirus, and everyone's saying, Mashiach's coming, Mashiach's coming, it's sure going to come. Unfortunately, a lot of people forgot already. But that's not how Mashiach's going to come. Hashem doesn't want Mashiach to come because you're running away from problems. Hashem, and you have nowhere to go, you go to Hashem. Hashem wants you to run to Him. Chavetz Chaim once met somebody living in New York. He came to visit Europe, he came to the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim says, tell me, in America... Are they hoping for Mashiach? He said, yes. Chavetz Chaim was holding his hand. Chavetz Chaim started to cry. So the fellow thinks, did I give the wrong answer? And he says, Rebbe, why are you crying? He says, over here in Europe, we have pogroms. We have illness. We're starving. We have no money. They're killing us. Of course we want Mashiach. We have no choice. But if you're telling me in America, where you have food and they're not killing you, and you're able to live and you still want Mashiach, that's where Mashiach is going to come from, from the people of America. Because Hashem doesn't want us to run away. Hashem wants us to run to Him. It says in El Yezuto, Ein Yisrael Nigalin, Christ will not be redeemed, Lemitech HaTzar, not because of pain, and Lemitech HaShibud, and Lemitech HaTiltol, and Tiruf, and Lemitech HaDaychek, and not because Shein Lehem Mezaynis. Ela Mitaych, Asar B'nei Adon, there'll be ten people, Shayyish and Zayit Zilzeh, sitting together, they're sitting together and learning together and davening together. Those people can bring Mashiach. All you need, just like we have 10 people to bring so much destruction, you have 10 people to bring so much Kedusha. And you don't need the whole world to bring Mashiach. Because the Chavetz Chaim says one of the most frightening things he writes. And this really doesn't give anyone the opportunity to get off the hook. He writes this to Anna Shemir Shalashen. She calls the Zayar. One shul. One congregation. If they have shalim, the way they're supposed to, if there's one congregation, if there's one kehila somewhere, that one kehila, is shaymer midas shalim, kidibai, they have shalom with each other the way it's supposed to be. Yechoylem liskais l'biyasa Mashiach. They will bring Mashiach. So which kehillah is it going to be? Because that's how Mashiach is going to come. There's going to be one kehillah that's going to say this is ridiculous. And they're going to work it out with themselves. And everyone else, everyone else will be following along. Everyone else will be following along. The Cheskelevish said, I'm... If Dessus is over, that there's once a fellow whose father was very sick, and he managed to get his father, a really, really specialist doctor to come, he had to pay him a lot of money, and the doctor's going to travel to the town. Everyone's sitting in the room, waiting for the doctor, the door opens up, and someone else from the town came to him, Okay, 10 minutes later, the door opens up again. Maybe it's the doctor, everyone's looking, it was another person in Vakar And this happened a bunch of times, until eventually the door opened up, People stop looking because the doctor, who knows if the doctor's coming? And every time the door opened up, only one person would look. Who was that one person? That was a fellow's son. That fellow's son really, really wanted the doctor to come. See, he kept on looking at that, at that door. Says of Dessler, 
when Mashiach does come, Hashem's going to say, were you looking at the door? Were you waiting for Mashiach? That's what Hashem's going to look at. So I want to end with one idea. And then we'll see a late seeing. We'll see Ashri. There was a fellow who grew up in Munkach. His name was Saul Teichman. Saul Teichman survived the war, moved to L.A. He became very involved in a lot of institutions. He helped found and start the Yeshiva, the Emek Hebrew Academy. But he was involved in, in, in all institutions. Tzedakahs, yeshivas, printing, svarim, everything. It's all, whatever you can have. He was such a good person that when people would come to him for help, they would leave him thinking that they helped him. When you got to Saul Teichman for a favor, you left Saul Teichman thinking you did Saul Teichman the biggest favor in the world. He was an unbelievable Baal Chesed and Baal Stalker. Well, he turned 90. He turned 90. And the school, Amy Hebrew Academy, wanted to buy him something, do something for him. He did so much for them. But what type of presents could you buy for someone who had everything? So they made a surprise party for him. Now, they couldn't make such a surprise party. They didn't want to kill him. But they told him there was a reception for him. And the children were there, and alumni, and the ch- everybody was there. And when he came into the dining room, everyone stood up, and they sang happy birthday for him. And he looks around, and he sees, this is the fruits of my labor. He sees hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, in entire, learning entire, living uh, a Jewish-Yiddish life. And it was tremendous. It was over, and they had a private reception. Just a few people... By the table, a fellow says, Saul, why did you do it? He says, why did you do what? He says, why did you help everybody? You lived your life to help everybody, why did you do it? He says, what should I tell you? He said, when I was in Munkach, growing up, I was part of a prominent family. In 1939, the arrow crossed, the Hungarian Nazis came in, and they took away all the, all the adult males to the labor camps. The labor camps were not concentration camps, but they were not pleasant at all. They were terrible. They were allowed to come home every few weeks. Sometimes they never came home. They took my father. And I, all of a sudden, me, Saul, Teichman, had to grow up, take care of my mother and my sisters, my brother. And I did that. And then, a few years later, in 1943, the Nazis came, liquidated everybody. I lost everybody except my brother stayed alive, a few other relatives, but I didn't know anyone during the war. I managed to stay alive. And I came to LA, I became successful, and I said, I want to give to Jewish children what the Nazis stole from me. The Nazis stole, the Nazis stole my chinuch. I want to give every Jewish child an opportunity to have chinuch. So everyone by the table was very impressed. You know, he devoted his life to this. And the guy says, Saul, that doesn't answer the question. That explains why you gave over your life for Amic Hebrew Academy. But why did you give over your life for Miklas? Why did you give over your life for printing Svarim? For Atzala, for so many different things, that's something different. There's got to be more. So Saul looks at him and says, you know, you want to know, I'll tell you why. And all of a sudden the whole table is quiet. They're going to hear something they never heard before. And Saul says in 1943 the Nazis came to town. Within two weeks, the order was out, everybody has to come to the train station. We don't know what was going on. Communication wasn't so good. We knew things were not good, but we came to the train station and there was a line, a long line, long line, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And all in the front of the line was a table, three people were sitting there. And as you went up, 
They ask you some questions, they send you to the right, to the left. It's all we knew. So I'm waiting in line for hours. All of a sudden, there's an old man comes up to me. And he says, what's your name? I said, Saul Teichman. He says, what's your birthday? He says, my birthday? My birthday is September 9th, 1927. So he looks at me and says, no, it's not. Your birthday is September 9th, 1925. I said, no, no, not me. My birthday is September 9th, 1927. So the old man looks at me and says, no, no, your birthday is September 9th, 1925. So I was brought up to have their hearts. So I said, okay. I'm going to fight with the guy? Okay. So the person says, okay, so when's your birthday? September 9th, 1927. No! Your birthday is September 9th, 1925. I'm going to ask you again, and you're going to tell me September 9th, 1925. And he asked me again. So I was polite, I answered him. But he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He must have been 200 times. He kept on asking me over and over and over again. And as we're inching closer and moving up, he kept on bothering me. And then all of a sudden, just like he came, he walked away. Two minutes later, before I knew it, I was standing in front of these three people, these three Nazis. What's your name? Saul Teichman. What's your birthday? I got so confused. I said, September 9th, 1925. And they sent me to the right. It was only later that I learned those to the right went to the concentration camp to work. Those to the left were sent to their death. But because I was old enough now, two years older, I was sent to the right. My whole life, I thought to myself, Saul said, that if I would see this person again, I can point to him and say, he, that person was my malach. That person, flesh and blood, but he was my angel. He saved my life by that. And I thought to myself when I survived the war and I came to LA and I got married, and I said to myself, Saul, could anybody point to you and say, you are my malach? And at that moment I decided, I made a resolution, that I will live my life every single day, that somebody can point to me and say, you Saul Teichman, you were my angel, you saved me. But I had no money. So I realized you could be someone's angel by a good word, by a smile, by a listening ear. As I got older, I saw you can also be someone's angel by giving money. But you can be someone's angel in so many different ways. Everybody has to think that way. Every morning you get up right after Maidan, you have to think to yourself, I today will be someone's malach. Someone will point to me to say I, could, I was their malach. There's no doubt that if we do that, the next year we won't have to say, Tishabav, Tafshin, Payalaf. Maybe speedily come in our time, still today. You can stand. You can say, see you just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.